Father in heaven, open our hearts this morning to your word and our minds by the power of your Holy Spirit. That as your word is read and proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you have to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 42. As a deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while men say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how, we, how I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God, with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony, and my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, Where is your God? Why are you so downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. And this is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. I drove down this morning from Truckee. Uh, my, uh, you're welcome. You're welcome. My family uh, is up there. They worshiped this morning at Sierra Bible Church in uh, Truckee. We're up there for a soccer tournament, and I'm heading back up there. But it is really good to be with you this morning. We have been in a journey through the Gospel of Mark, and we will resume that journey next week. Today's sermon came to me as I was reading, not the whole sermon, but the idea for the sermon came to me a couple weeks ago as I was uh, laying in a tent uh, in the eastern Sierra and spending time in God's word. And, and the Lord impressed upon me at that moment that I needed to preach uh, a sermon kind of like where uh, we are right now. So Psalm 42 is where we are going to be today. We'll be back in Mark's gospel next week. And before we get to Psalm 42, I want to have you look at six different individuals. Think about six different individuals and think about what is in common of all of them. The first individual is the author of Psalm 42. 
Now, interestingly, we don't know who the author of Psalm 42 is. It may have been David. It may have been someone else. And I think it's intentional we don't know who. We have just enough background about Psalm 42. That's all the background that we need so that this psalm is easily transferable into our lives and, and not associated with necessarily any particular individual. So I wanted you to think about these six people and what they have in common. The first one is the author of Psalm 42. The second one is a man named J.B. Phillips. Any of you heard of J.B. Phillips out there? A few of you. So he's well known for his translation or paraphrase of the New Testament. The third person I want you to think about is a, a preacher, British preacher. His name's uh, Charles Spurgeon. And he was incredibly gifted preacher reading his uh, autobiography and reading a biography on him, you, you read about how there would be people outside the windows and outside the doors and how crowded it was wherever he spoke and whenever he spoke. Incredibly popular preacher. The next one, anyone recognize this guy? Picasso. Pablo Picasso lived a long life. So you're thinking through what do these individuals all have in common? Ashley Judd, some of you recognize her. Uh, Ashley Judd, an American uh, actress. And then we have another uh, actor, uh, Owen Wilson. And the thing that these six individuals all have in common is they all have, in very public ways, battled with depression. They have all battled discouragement. The psalmist writes in verse 5 in the Holman Christian Standard Bible's rendering of it, why am I so depressed? Why this turmoil within me? And these six individuals all in different ways and different language have, have uttered that out. And if we want to be honest this morning, all of us here have uttered this out. I don't need to ask for a show of hands because all of us have experienced depression. Going back to these six individuals, uh, Ashley Judd, for example, in her 2011 memoir entitled All That Is Bitter and Sweet, she revealed that she considered suicide as a sixth grader and in 2006 underwent 42 days in a rehab clinic for depression. I would have died without it, she said, in April 2011. Owen Wilson, this uh, fun-loving guy that just plays these roles in in movies, fun-loving, laid back, but the world saw a darker side of him in 2007 when various reports surfaced about depression and suicide and things that he has gone through. So I, I am introducing our subject today through these individuals to simply say all of us at some point in our lives, if you haven't yet, you will be there, encounter the darkness, the melancholy, the depression that comes for a whole variety of reasons. And Psalm 42, in part, is here to help us to get directives, to get directions from the Lord about how to respond and how to move beyond the depression that we have. So let's turn our attention to the Word of God now. Let's look first at verses 1 through 3. If you don't have a Bible, I'd encourage you to grab one and follow along with me. There's Bibles in the chairs in front of you, Psalm 42. 
beginning of verse 1. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while men say to me all day long, where is your God? Let's stop here for a moment and and let's take a look and and meditate here on verse 3. Notice the condition of the psalmist, the way he describes it in verse 3. His tears have been his food day and night. This is a poetic way to say he has not been sleeping. Not only has he not been sleeping, but I think he's also telling us that he hasn't been eating. He hasn't been eating well. He hasn't been sleeping. He has been weeping. His pillow is soaking wet from tears. He's in a season of discouragement, a season of depression, a season of discouragement. And notice there are men saying to him, where is your God? One commentator writes this about this psalm. He says, even though... The life situation, that is the life of the psalmist, the author, remains controversial. It is evident that the psalmist was isolated from the temple worship. He may have been a refugee, but it is more likely that he had been exiled to Aram, Assyria, or Babylon, and was in the hands of taunting captors. So we learn here in these first three verses about part of what has caused the depression that the psalmist has he is outside of the land he is outside of jerusalem he is outside of the life of temple worship of the community of faith or of the tabernacle and he may very likely be a prisoner of war where men are saying to him all day long where is your god yahweh is supposed to be the joy of your strength He's supposed to be the source of your joy and your strength. Where is he, depressed captor? Where is he? And so this brings new light to the first few verses, which we're very familiar with. These few verses, first few verses are really longings of the soul of the psalmist. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul longs for you, O God. And he says this three different ways in increasing intensity. What he's saying is, is I'm craving to have worship experiences where the joy of the Lord is with me. And for him, he is separated from Jerusalem. He's separated from the life of the people. And this is part of what has caused his depression and his discouragement. Another commentator writes this. Because the psalmist was at a distance from Jerusalem where the ark of God resided, he desired to return there to God's living presence. Due to Jesus' redemptive work on the cross, the Christian has access to the Lord in prayer at all times and in all places. Is that good news? You know, the psalmist is discouraged because the the whole life of the people of God revolved around these festivals and and sacrifice and all of this. And he's he's missing out on that, and that's part of what's what's the cause of of this depression that he's in. But this commentator is saying, you know, that doesn't need to be the cause of depression. We've got lots of other things to cause depression for us, but that doesn't need to be the cause of depression for a Christian. 
because we don't have to travel to Jerusalem. We don't have to be near the temple. We don't have to be here on Sunday morning, although that's a good thing. I'm glad you're here this morning to be in the Lord's presence and to have his joy. First Corinthians chapter three. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? We can discover joy. The believer can find an experience of worship and joy no matter where we are. And this is a good place to do it in a gathering of God's people on Sunday morning. But it can happen in a tent. It can happen driving in a car. It can happen anywhere. Okay, so we've looked at verses 1 through 3. We've got kind of a setting here of, of what's going on. And let's look now specifically at some of the directions, some of the biblical directives for us as we encounter depression or in the future of our lives, if you're not there as you will encounter it in the future. Look with me at verse 4. Next up, the psalmist says this. He says, These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go with the multitude leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. He's remembering how he not only went up to Jerusalem, but he was a leader. This is a leader. And he's missing out on these experiences. And he's longing for the presence of God. And he's longing for joy. But what he's found is tears. And what he's found is that he hasn't really been able to eat His tears have been his food, we're told in verse 3. This may be because of stress, because of his depression. It's possible also that he hasn't been eating because he's fasting to try and find his way back to the Lord. So out of verse 4, we have uh, one more thing before we get to verse 4. This is just a a reminder of the, the context that he's missing out on. During the three annual pilgrimage festivals, Passover, First Fruits, and Tabernacles, the pilgrims gathered in Jerusalem and presented their offerings and sacrifices with great rejoicing. So he's missing out uh, on that. So now back to verse 4. The first directive here is this for us. Remember previous times in your life when the joy of the Lord was unmistakably your strength. This is, this is what he's doing in verse 4. He, he, he's weeping at night. He's depressed. He's discouraged. He's not sure how to go on. But he is remembering these great times of worship. And God being with him personally and God being with the entire community. And so one of the things that you and I can do when we are depressed, when we are discouraged, is remember where God has been with us in the past in joyful and triumphant and victorious situations. I became a a Christian um, spring break my senior year in high school. And it was just a couple years later in college that I experienced my first extended season of depression as a believer in the Lord Jesus. And one of the things, as I was praying through this this week, and as I've been praying, one of the the things that I've reflected on as I've been praying uh, over this text and over this sermon today was, was my mindset in that or in, in other settings. And part of the mindset is, is you become so uh, negative and so pessimistic that, that the, the enemy or our own destructive selves forget about and ignore 
the great things that God has done in our past in us. And we forget those things and we just begin to spiral down further and further and further. And so the, the psalmist is reminding us of, of, of what we can do. We can, we can look back and remember and remember previous times in our lives when the joy of the Lord was unmistakably your strength. And it took me a long time in this particular season of depression that I was in in college to get to the point where I could do that. And one of the ways that I was able to look back and then also able to look forward without pessimism and negativity is another brother or sister, uh, and this, in my case, it was another brother coming alongside me to help me through to see this. This is important when we are depressed or when we are discouraged. All right, let's move on. Let's look at verse 5. He asks this question, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? The NIV renders it. And he repeats this if you jump down to verse 11. And then he repeats this if you jump to verse 43 and verse 5. He repeats it there as well. And many Hebrew scholars, we're not going to go through 42 and 43, but recognize or believe that Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 actually go together. And one of the strongest arguments is this refrain in verse 5 is repeated in verse 11 and also in 43 and verse 5. But I want us to camp here for, for a while at the beginning of verse 5, this question, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Now we know some of the background here. We have known just enough background as to part of why he's discouraged. But this question is here, I believe, also to help us to ask this question of ourselves. That you and I would search our hearts and search our souls when we're depressed and ask ourselves, why am I here? Why am I in this condition? Why am I so downcast? And I want to suggest that you and I, when we're in this condition, need to search as long and as deeply as possible to discover the causes of our depression. And I'm assuming that they are discoverable. Sometimes they may not be, but I'm going to operate here that they are discoverable. We need to search as long and as deeply as possible to discover the causes of our depression. One pastor, counselor, writes this. He says, the journey in the wilderness is intended in part to reveal what is in our hearts and to teach us to trust God in both good times and hard times. Why does he do this? Why does he allow us to have these seasons of depression? To show us those things that are most important. Don't forget that God takes his children into the wilderness. He even led his only son into the wilderness. Why We shouldn't be surprised if he takes us there as well. So we need to search as long and as deeply as possible to discover the causes of our depression. Now, this may not be what you want to hear, but this is part of the process to ask ourselves, why am I so downcast? And to search and to probe and to look deep within ourselves. What I want to do over the next few minutes here is to reveal, uh, sorry, this, this quote goes on. Uh, let me just finish it now that it's on the screen. This thing causes me to stumble sometimes, doesn't it? 
says, uh, in your depression, let God reveal your heart. Uh, you might find spiritual issues that contribute to or even cause your depression. So what I want to do now is I want to reveal some possible causes, although depression is complicated and, and sometimes unknowable, I want to reveal and talk about some possible factors for depression that we might discover or the Lord might have us in a season of depression to discover things about ourselves. If I can, this may sound offensive, but to call this redemptive depression, if you will. If, if we believe Romans 8.28, that God works all things for good, that would mean that he's good, he, His will is to work your depression for good to change you and to make you strong and to bring Him glory. So here's the first cause that I have. And I'm calling this idolatrous relationship or grief. An idolatrous relationship or grief can be one of the things that causes uh, depression in us. Now let me be clear here what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that if you lose someone to death or you break up with someone, a relationship falls. Um, I, I, I'm not saying that it's not normal and healthy to grieve, to weep, and to be sad, okay? Did you all hear that? You got that? That's normal. I mean, when Lazarus dies, w- w- what did Jesus do? He wept. Okay, so that's normal. So I'm not talking about that this morning. I'm talking about the paralyzing kind of depression where months or years go by and you can't move forward, okay? You're in a cloud. Are you with me? You, you know what I'm talking about? So one of the causes can be an idolatrous relationship or, or grief over loss of that relationship. That's what I mean. You get me? Do you get what I'm talking about? Okay, at least a few of you do. So, so uh, 1 Thessalonians uh, 4.13 says this, Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. You see, the Scriptures know that we're going to grieve, we're going to weep, just as Jesus wept if we lose someone that we love. But we are to grieve with hope. We are to grieve with hope in the Lord Jesus and with a reunion with those brothers and sisters that we will see one day again in the new heavens and the new earth in eternity. We need to search as long and as deeply as possible to discover our causes, and one of those causes can be a relationship that ends or the loss of a loved one. I'm, I'm using an adjective here, idolatrous, and I'm getting this really from the first and second commandments. The first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. The second commandment, you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. So what I'm saying, this could be very painful for some to hear. But what I'm trying to say is that it's possible when we lose someone that we love, they die. The Lord might be revealing to us, to the depressed person, not not the normal crying, I'm, I'm in the season of loss, but the paralyzing grief that lasts months and years and, and, and I'm near the end and I don't think I can go on anymore. That kind of depression is what I'm talking about. The Lord may be revealing through that that you were excessively attached to that person in the place of God, and that person was functioning as your God. 
And the Lord Jesus does not want anyone to function as our God other than Him. No person, no place, no thing, no experience, nothing. And so, an idolatrous relationship or even grief that follows an idolatrous relationship. We might make an idol of the actual grief, not the normal kind of grief, but the unhealthy kind of grief that's pessimistic and negative and keeps me in a cloud. So that's one of six. I've got six of these. I draw idolatrous relationship or grief. A second one is idolatrous unfulfilled desires. We're talking about causes of serious life, making life miserable kind of depression is what I'm talking about. And many of us have unfulfilled desires. And when I say unfulfilled desires, I'm talking about good desires, godly desires. Something like, uh, I didn't expect my marriage to be like this. I didn't expect my children to grow up to be like that. I didn't expect my, my job to have me living this kind of life. And so all of us have had those kinds of thoughts about different things. And what I'm saying is this is one of the things that can cause depression, the debilitating kind of depression that takes us out. And what I want to say this morning in all of these things is that the power of the gospel and the power of Jesus is bigger than any relationship that ends and it is bigger than any unfulfilled desires that we may have had about our lives. Do you believe that? I think about the life of of David, King David. Pretty cool to be king. That'd be pretty cool. King, queen. And to be a very loved king or queen. To to, to be someone that is just looked up to. I mean that, that would be pretty cool. But when I think about depression or discouragement and unfulfilled desires, I'm talking about godly desires and how life turned out, I, I, I think of David. His lusts were fulfilled. One of the things he's known for. He used his power to get Bathsheba. And then he just kind of continues and sin begets sin and sin begets sin and sin begets, begets whatever. You know what I'm trying to say. Begat is what it should be, right? And he moves to adultery and he moves to murder and he moves on and on. And there comes a point in his life where he is depressed, where he is discouraged, where he is down. What are the causes? Well, for David, it's it's pretty obvious to us, but it wasn't obvious to him. It wasn't obvious to him. And so he is in the Scriptures as a man after God's own heart, not because of those uh, lusts that he carries out and the sins that he carries out. But he was able to see when he was depressed and when he was discouraged, he was able to see the truth and he was able to repent and come out and find joy in the Lord. We see this in, in his own prayer that should be our prayer very often. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. 
Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and renew a right spirit within me. David's life was a mess, but he believed in the power of God and that God could make him new and restore the joy of his salvation. We have to believe that. Especially when we are depressed and discouraged, we have to believe that God can restore the joy of your salvation. Uh, often we'll go weeks or months and we, we, we don't really believe that. And this is why it's so important we have a brother or sister who can come alongside us to help us to see that this is true. and To hear those truths through him or through her. Number three, letter C, idolatrous self-focus calling this the self-pity variety. Depression can be caused by an idolatrous self-focus, the self-pity variety. One pastor counselor writes this. He says, depression often is the language of self-pity. If no one else will have compassion on me, I will feel sorry for myself. This can be deadly. It will trap you into living like a victim rather than one who has been shown infinite grace and mercy. At the cross. We forget that. It's like it doesn't even exist, the cross. Infinite grace and mercy that it's ours. I'm just in a pit and I can't see out. That's where the psalmist is. Day and night after night. Tears are coming. Self-pity variety of an idolatrous self-focus. Behind this self-pity is this excessive attachment to myself and what I want. Letter D, or number four, an idolatrous self-focus, the no-forgiveness variety. The no-forgiveness variety. Excessively attached to myself, I might have anger, I might have disappointment at someone else, and I am not able to extend forgiveness to that person. Behind that inability to extend forgiveness is an attachment to myself. And this can take us down, and this can be a cause of depression. I know this is not so much a uh, hip-hop crowd here this morning, but I want to uh, introduce you briefly to this guy uh, until I have teenagers in the home. He goes by NF. And I'm going to play a song, and the lyrics are going to be on the screen here. And the reason I'm playing it is for you to see very powerfully, very emotionally, what depression is. And what anger looks like, especially with this particular cause, without forgiveness. Let's listen to this and look at these lyrics. How could you leave so Cigarette smell, yeah. Welcome to the bottom of hell. They say pain is a prison. 
Let me out of my cell. You say you proud of me, but you don't know me that well. Sit in my room, tears running down my face, and I yell. Into my pillowcases, say you coming to get us. Then call a minute later just to tell us you're not. I'm humiliated. I'm in a room with a parent that I don't barely know. Some lady in the corner watching us while she's taking notes. I don't get it, mom. Don't you wanna watch your babies grow? I guess pills are more important. All you have to say is no. But you won't do it, will you? You gon' keep popping till them pills kill you. I know you're gone, but I can still feel you. I got this picture in my room and it kills me. But I don't need a picture of my mom. I need the real thing. Now a relationship is something we won't ever have. But why do I feel like I lost something that I never had? You should have been there when I graduated. Told me you love me and congratulations. Instead you left us at the window waiting. Where you at, mom? What's too young to understand? Where you at, huh? Yeah, I know them drugs that got you held captive. I can see it in your eyes. They got your mind captured. Some say it's fun to get the high. Just called you. I wish I would have just picked up the phone. But you 
should have been there for us. You should have been here. Bill's got you right. And Bill's got you right. I wish you were here. mother died when he was 18. She uh, was not around before that very much. The emotion is is, uh, very real in that song. I read a little bit about that recording. Apparently the producer had to leave the studio as he lamented into the microphone. And he just put a few seconds of that lamenting there at the end and some of the weeping throughout the song. What we have in Psalm 42 is also a lament. But there is a deficiency in this lament that we saw. Did you see the deficiency? The deficiency was in this line where he says, at least he's realized it, but he hasn't forgiven her yet. The power of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that His grace is powerful and sufficient enough to help us forgive people who have wounded us, who have hurt us, who have disappointed us. Even if they are gone, the Gospel is sufficient to help us to forgive. We are taught to do this, and in some churches it is practiced every week, some gatherings on Sunday mornings, it is practiced every week. We are uh, encouraged and taught how to do this in the Lord's Prayer. We're familiar with Matthew's version of the Lord's Prayer, but Luke's version puts it this way. Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our sins, Lord, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us including absentee, drug-addicted mothers. So again, what this sermon is about, what I'm doing right now is we're talking about causes of depression. And what I'm saying is that the real cause of the depression was not the mother, was not her doing all that she did, I acknowledge all the impact that's going to have and it's complicated and it's difficult. But the power of the gospel is sufficient for NF to forgive his mother and to not be paralyzed and not to stay with this anger and emotion that comes through in much of his music. I'm not saying that if he listened to this sermon that he's going to immediately be able to forgive his mother. This is a complicated and difficult scenario and situation, this kind of depression. This is why it is so important that we have brothers and sisters to walk alongside us to help us through times like what he has gone through. But we also need to know the power of the gospel and how we can forgive and move to a place of joy. John Stott describes this power this way. He says, once our eyes have been opened to see the enormity of our offense against God, the injuries which others have done to us appear by comparison extremely trifling. 
If, on the other hand, we have an exaggerated view of the offenses of others, it proves that we have minimized our own. Now, I understand how this can sound offensive after hearing that song and thinking about what this young man's life was like, losing his drug-addicted mom at 18. He's not saying that that's something trivial, that that's not going to impact him, that that, that that is not a huge thing that has happened in his life. But what he's saying is the offense that you and I and NF and every other human being has committed against a holy and perfect God. That is what is enormous. And understanding the enormity of your sin and my sin, putting Jesus on a cross like that, is part of the piece of understanding how we can then extend forgiveness to others. Do you get that? It takes a spiritual work. It takes grace. It takes a miracle. I hope you're understanding me this morning. I'm not saying he listens to this sermon and he's going to be fine. He's going to be in a battle, but he needs someone to help him through that battle to understand the gospel and understand that the freedom is only going to come as he forgives his mother. Another uh, person I want to introduce you to briefly, this guy, Jonathan Farrell. No song here, okay? So we'll be okay. I'm not going to take you in a place like that. This, there is some sadness here again in this story. So this young man is driving home at 2 o'clock in the morning in North Carolina. And he gets in a serious single-car accident. He has to crawl out of his back window. He's in a white neighborhood. He works his way to a home at about 2 o'clock in the morning and he's pounding on the door for help. A single mom is on the other side of that door. Understandably, she calls 911. She doesn't open the door. Now here's where things go really bad. The police show up. They make some mistakes in judgment. One particular man does. And this guy who's seeking help ends up shot numerous times by a police officer. And he's dead. Now you're this guy's mom. You're this guy's mom. Depression and sadness is coming. The tears are coming. The question is, can she extend forgiveness to that police officer? So here's a a shot of his mom and what she has said. She says, I'm somewhat numb. I want my son back. I want my son to bury me. I don't want to bury him. She's speaking to the police officer here. You caused the great loss to my heart. You took a piece of my heart that can never be put back. But I do forgive you. I truly forgive you and wish you the best with your life and turning it over to God. We have a contrast in lamenting. We have a contrast between the way NF is lamenting and we have a, 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 a way, a gospel lamenting here. There is pain and there is depression and there is discouragement, but I forgive this man and not only that, she's wishing him the best. Folks, I want this morning to be a hope-filled message to you that the power of the gospel is able to do that in you in me, 
no matter what the cause of our depression is, but this is especially if lacking forgiveness, extending forgiveness to others would be the cause of your depression, which is ultimately an idolatry of self. A couple more. These will be brief. So letter E, we're searching as long and as deeply as possible to discover the causes of our depression. One of those causes can be abuse, all of the various kinds of abuse. And after we experience abuse, whether it was recently, whether it was decades ago, we can often feel worthless and lame and unclean and unworthy and on and on. But the power of the gospel and the power of Jesus Christ is that you and I have been made in his image. So I'm calling this denial of imago Dei, the Latin phrase for made in his image, in the image of God. And so when we have been abused and, and, and we feel really, really lame and we feel really, really low about ourselves, we have to absorb and believe the truth that God made every single one of us in his image, fearfully and wonderfully made, and no sort of abuse undoes the creative power of God in you as a human being. It cannot be undone. You are fearfully and wonderfully made and beautiful no matter what has happened. And so depression can be caused by this abuse and then my killing the theology of the Imago Dei that we're made in the image of God with, uh, with these, these lies of I'm worthless and I'm lame and I'm miserable. That, that kind of thinking can kill true theology that comes out of the word of God that we're made in his image. Again, this is complicated and we need someone to walk roads with us to, to, to come to a place to believe that. But without these truths, we're playing games if we are going to, without the gospel, we're playing games if we're trying to get out of our depression without the gospel and without the Lord Jesus. We have a God who has a heart. If you like images like I do and stories like I do, we have a God who goes after the one who goes after the one and and will leave the 99 behind to go after and rescue the one that is wounded and lost and needing help. We're all made in his image. And then just a blanket category here. There's a million other things. This sermon could go on for days and days that cause depression. From the weather, biological conditions, neurological conditions, unknown conditions, sometimes We're searching and searching and searching and I'm just not even sure why I'm so depressed. We still need to search. And at the end of our journeying, we need to find our hope in God. That is where the psalmist goes and that's where we should turn now. Let's come back to our text and we'll finish up here. I'm just going to go through verse 5. He asks the question, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? And now he preaches to himself, Put your hope in God. As he's crying every night on his bed, he's now saying to himself, put your hope in God. So you and I, we need to preach to ourselves. We need to preach to, you need to preach to yourself, God replaces depression with hope in him when I trust that he uses my depression redemptively for my benefit. He actually wants to use the depression perhaps to reveal things 
in me, but no matter what the, the purpose it is, it is to strengthen us and to make you stronger and conform you more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. Almost every one of us needs someone else to help us through a season of life, of life like this, someone who loves Jesus and knows the theology of the gospel. It's not a complicated theology, but it is very complicated to appropriate and to live out. Again, another pastor counselor writes this. He says, if you are depressed and you pay attention to your own thoughts, you will probably hear thoughts that are dark, hopeless, pessimistic, and critical of yourself or others. Whenever these thoughts begin, they rarely stop until they get to the most despairing place possible. So the question is, who are you going to listen to? If you're listening to yourself, you are likely going to despair and go down. But if you listen to God and his word, he's going to tell you to put your hope in him. And so you need to feed yourself with the thoughts of God, not with the thoughts of yourself. This is what I mean by preaching to yourself. Martin Lloyd-Jones preached a lengthy series on this many decades ago. And it kind of sums up in this. His sermons were put into a book called Spiritual Depression, Its Causes and Cure. He writes this. He says, I suggest that the main trouble in this whole matter of spiritual depression, in a sense, is this, that we allow ourselves to talk to us instead of talking to ourselves. Am I just trying to be deliberately paradoxical? He's speaking rhetorically about himself there. Far from it. This is the very essence of wisdom in this matter. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in this life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself, those negative pessimistic thoughts, instead of talking to yourself, talking to yourself about the hope in God from his word? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they start talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday, pessimism, discouragement, etc., Somebody is talking, yourself is talking to you, the flesh. Now this man's treatment was this. This man referring to the author of Psalm 42. His treatment was this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. He starts to lament in a biblical way. Why are thou downcast, O my soul, he asks. And then he tells himself to hope in God. Finally, Finish looking at verse 5. He's preaching to himself. Why am I downcast? Put your hope in God. And then he says, for I will yet praise him. My Savior and God. He's going to worship. Even, even now as he was crying the night before and the, the, the bed is full of tears. I will yet praise him. My Savior and my God. And so the final biblical directive here is to worship Jesus now even before the depression has lifted. We can't wait. You can't wait. This is why he was longing, going full circle here now, back to the beginning of the song. This is why he's longing to go back to Jerusalem to be a part of this temple worship. But even in the old covenant, he understood, I can worship God right now in this moment. And this is what we're going to do now um, with our voices. Let's uh, stand together. Worship team's going to come. I'll pray as they're coming up let's let's bow our heads